With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good men and women around the world who want to make a difference. Engagement and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed, but the only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Truth and Justice Friday follow-up episode. I'm your host, Bob Ruff. And I'm your co-host, Mike Bussing. As today's episode is bringing Season 2 to a close, I first want to thank all of you for all of the loving and supporting messages that we've been receiving since Episode 255 dropped. Yeah, there's been a lot of love from everybody, and we really appreciate it. And since this is our last episode of Season 2, we're not going to waste any time So, Mike, let's get right into our Friday follow-up. Let's do it. First of all, before we start getting into social media, we have had a ton of people asking about the closing song from the season finale. Everyone wants to know where they can get their hands on it. Yeah, I saw a lot. I'll go ahead and field this one, Bob. Uh, What? I know shit. All right, take it away. The song was written by Jennifer Crouch and Steve Nalbert. It's called I Come Home by Jennifer Crouch. It's available on both iTunes and Spotify or on Jennifer's website, jennifercrouchmusic.com. All right. And Jennifer has a Facebook post for us. Go right ahead. What are you doing? I'll just be hanging out over here. Take it away. On Facebook, Jennifer posts, Thank you, Truth and Justice, for including my song, I Come Home, in your season finale. Such a moving episode with such a powerful message. We can all make a difference. Hashtag free at eights. You going to say anything? Oh, it's my turn to talk? Yeah, I'm done. All right. Uh, yeah, Jennifer's song was incredible. And to be honest, I was just thrilled with all of the music in that episode. Shane Yoder with PutThemInASong.com was busting his ass to make new scoring tracks for the entire episode, and Jennifer's song at the end was the perfect fit to close out the season. So I personally want to say thanks to both Jennifer Crouch and to Shane Yoder, and as a quick plug, again, to help support Shane for all the work he's done and he's continuing to do, and he is doing a lot for Season 3, please go check out PutThemInASong.com and have Shane and his team of Nashville musicians write a custom song just for you or your loved one. And also, for all of you fellow podcasters that are listening, 
Shane also offers services to other podcasters, creating intro music, scoring, and other work like that. So if you're interested, go check out PutThemInASong.com. All right, Bob, let's move into our social media. Starting with Facebook, Linda McGurk writes, I know Ed's case is coming to an end, but I really need to ask, did Ed even eat Jolly Ranchers? And can you explain it to me what the plan was by planting the wrappers? I mean, if Ed was seen eating the candy and then they found the wrappers, it might make sense, but I'm just very confused. Thanks, guys. I really can't thank you enough for your passion and drive for truth and justice. Also for entertaining me on my three-hour round trip to work every day. Thanks, Bob and Mike. Love your work. Linda. Okay, thanks, Linda. That's a great question, and the answer is pretty simple. Ed was, in fact, witnessed eating a Jolly Rancher. At the time of the murder, Ed happened to have a bag of watermelon Jolly Ranchers at his house, and he had a couple in his pocket. And according to Ed, the night that he was interviewing with Detective Huckel, the night that Elnora's body was found, Ed says that he was in the bathroom, and while in the bathroom, he put a Jolly Rancher in his mouth and threw the wrapper into the trash can. And he says that right after he left, Detective Bobby Gorman went in and recovered the wrapper. So based on that, now it makes a lot more sense as to why a Jolly Rancher wrapper would be planted on the crime scene. Because they had one Jolly Rancher wrapper that I'm sure they were hoping had Ed's fingerprints and DNA on it. All right, this next Facebook post comes from Rosemary Hopkins. Bob, I love your podcast. Thank you for the hard work you do each week. I'm about to take a vacation with significant travel time. What podcast do you listen to and recommend? Thank you. Ooh, that's a good question because I have a lot. First of all, I have to say that my favorite podcast, other than, of course, Truth and Justice and Off-Duty. Right, those are my favorites too. Right, that makes perfect sense. Uh, But other than those, my all-time favorite podcast, the one that I never miss an episode of, is Real Crime Profile with Jim Clemente, Laura Richards, and Lisa Zambetti. Jim, Laura, and Lisa do an incredible job of breaking down the cases that they're covering, and they always make sure to honor the victims while they're giving their analysis and their profiles. Another show that I really, really enjoy is Someone Knows Something. SKS just finished up their second season, and in that show, to be honest, I really, really like the production quality. I like their style, and also the content is really interesting. And it's a great binge because there's two 12-episode seasons available. I've also, just in the last couple of days, started listening to a podcast that is really, really good. You all heard on Wednesday that I was able to meet Payne Lindsay of the Up and Banish podcast when we did our combined episode about the Spike TV special. And so I checked Payne's podcast out, and I'm about three episodes in, and Up and Vanish so far has been incredible. Actual Innocence with Brooke Giddings is a great show. Brooke covers a lot of the aftermath after someone is exonerated. She interviews on her show people who have been exonerated of wrongful convictions. It is definitely worth the time to listen. Brooke does a wonderful job. A new podcast that has recently launched that only has a couple of episodes out so far is Crime and Precedence with Lisa Strawn. And Lisa covers legal precedents and where their history and background came from. And she also does a great job. Of course, you all know I love the Undisclosed podcast. And for those of you that are into conspiracy theory type stuff, Pints and Puzzles is a great podcast. And if you're looking for something that's just inappropriate humor and is just a comedy podcast, I'm a big fan of Jimmy Pardo's Never Not Funny. So that should be enough to get you through your long drive, Rosemary. All right, Bob, we're going to move into email. This first email comes from Vicky P. She writes, The only thing I'm having a hard time reconciling is the semen found on her body and the comforter. Do you know if she had a washer or dryer in her home? Does the tenant have a washer or dryer now? Do you remember one during your visit? I ask because although she was a tidy woman, 
What if she wasn't able to get to the laundromat between the possible innocent intimate encounter and her passing? If that's the case, we only have one stain to contend with. Great work, guys. Your efforts are inspirational. Vicky. Good question, Vicky, but the answer, unfortunately, doesn't solve anything for us because Elnora did indeed have a washer and dryer at the house. Remember, it was in the back of the house, and that's also where the hammer and the curtain were found. And as far as we know, the washer and dryer were fully operational. There were clothes folded up on top of it. There was a laundry basket full of clothes on top of it. So I don't think we have a laundromat issue to contend with here. Okay, this next email is from another Vicky in Essex, England, and she has a few points to make here. Her first point is, if the oral slash anal sex was not consensual, then I can't imagine she would have put a pillow on the floor to protect her knees. I expect that would have been the last thing on her mind if this was rape. I completely agree, and I do not think that this was rape. I do believe that if there was sex, that it was consensual. Point number two is, if Elnora was expecting Leonard, then she wouldn't be having sex with Francis. This would be way too risky. Unless Leonard did cancel before Francis turned up, and she was maybe angry with Leonard for canceling. I agree, but we have to consider also that we have no evidence that Leonard canceled. The message on the answer machine supposedly said that he was coming, and Leonard said that he never got a hold of her and said that he wasn't. So I would agree that it seems very doubtful that she would have had sex with Francis and then waited for Leonard to get there, because even according to Leonard, she was expecting him to show up. And point number three is, I like your theory about Leonard eating the food and putting the dishes in the washing up bowl, but why did Elnora cook extra food and leave it on the stove? Surely the pans would be empty. I don't think that she necessarily cooked extra food and left it on the stove. I think that she just cooked a meal and it didn't all get eaten. And really, when you think about it, it's not that hard to wrap our brains around. If I go to the store right now and I want to buy some chicken breast to cook for me and Becky, I'm going to grab a package of chicken breast. There might be three or four of them in there. We'll each have one, and there's going to be leftovers. And if we have a scenario where everything was going okay until someone else showed up, it all makes perfect sense. They ate dinner, throw the dishes into the sink, leave the stuff on the stove because they've moved on to the bedroom and have this sexual encounter. And the plan is that later, after all that's over, she'll go back and clean up. My personal thoughts would be that neither one of them wanted to put an end to the romance by stopping to do dishes before retiring to the bedroom. And so as this plays out in my mind, everything was going normally until they were interrupted. And that's what the crime scene seems to indicate to me. They sat down, Leonard ate dinner, they moved to the bedroom, and everything was status quo. Okay, and their last point is, if Angela was the murderer, how would this play out? Angela goes around to the trailer, walks in and catches Leonard and Elnora in bed, strangled her, and slits her throat. What is Leonard doing at this time? Just standing and watching his baby mama kill his fiance? Or joining in and killing her too? I don't think so. Thanks, Bob and Mike. Vicki Chambers. I don't think that the crime scene indicates anything like that happened. I definitely do not think Leonard was just a bystander watching this happen. Like I've mentioned before, the fact that Elnora was in a grasp so tight that she was being strangled to the point of petechia in her eyes and defecating, but somehow got away, to me indicates that someone was defending her. So my hypothesis is that Leonard was trying to defend Elnora, at least at the beginning, while Angela was attacking her. And I believe that's how she got away and made it to the front door into the middle of the living room. Okay, Bob, and we have one last email here from Melanie. Melanie writes, Do you think Angela went to Elnora's with the intent of killing her? Since it's believed that the killer had their own knife, do you think that she had just been carrying a knife on her, or did she purposely grab one on her way to Elnora's? Maybe she had only intended to threaten her and things got out of hand, or do you think her sole purpose was to kill her? Thanks, Melanie. 
Well, first of all, the murder weapon was never recovered, so we have no idea if that knife was found at Elnora's trailer or if the killer brought the knife with them, and we just have no way of knowing that. So because of that, it's really hard to answer that question. Personally, and this is literally just a guess, I don't think that the plan was murder. My feeling is that if my theory is correct, and Angela interrupted Leonard and Elnora, her intention was probably to confront them, and things escalated very quickly and ended in murder. But I don't think that her plan was to come over and kill Elnora. The crime scene does not indicate a well-thought-out, organized, premeditated plan. It looks to me as though the murder is something that just happened in the heat of rage. Okay, Bob, moving into Twitter. Paul Vanette tweets, Question to your theory. Would we really expect no signs of forced entry? If Elnora and Leonard are post-dinner and mid-coitus, then who lets Angela in? I don't think anybody would have to let Angela in. Of course, we have to make assumptions here, so it could go either way, and you might be right, Paul. But I don't think that it's unreasonable at all, especially living way back off the road in the country, that when Elnora's boyfriend shows up for the night, that they didn't lock the door behind them. Remember that Elnora was at least, we do know, expecting Leonard to show up. So I would assume that the doors weren't locked when he got there. And if they were locked before he got there, I think it's at least reasonable to consider the idea that the door didn't get locked behind them. And if that's the case, then no one would have to get up and let Angela in. She could just walk in the door. All right, and this next tweet is from Paula at Layer Keeper. Phone ripped off the wall after? Maybe when one party started to call the cops? Other does it to prevent? This was a really, really good point. I remember seeing this tweet come through this weekend. That is something that I had never really considered. So what Paula's saying here is, is it possible that the whole attack and murder happened and then after the fact, when they were cleaning up, one of the two people that were in the trailer was going to take the phone and call 911, and the other ripped it off the wall to stop them from doing that. Now, at this point, we have no idea of knowing if that's what actually happened, but running that scenario through in my mind, it actually does make perfect sense. And I would say it at least makes the same amount of sense as the killer ripping the phone off the wall and carrying it into the bedroom before the attack begins. So great point, Paula. All right, and this last tweet comes from Susan Schoon. That's Kenny Snow's attorney. She had a message she wanted to get out to all of you. Great work this season. Please let everyone know we are still investigating what can be done for Kenny. All right, Mike, I think that's a great one to end on. And I have still been in communication with Susan. And like I said before, we haven't forgotten about Kenny and we haven't given up on Kenny. We are still working to figure out what can be done from here. Okay, now let's take a quick break for our sponsor and we'll move on to the calls. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
All right. For our first caller of the day, I have Matt from Indiana on the line. How are you doing today, Matt? Hey, I'm doing great, Bob. Great to talk to you. Yeah, you too. I have a two-part question for you, and uh, my question is, is there anybody, any potential suspect that if the DNA ended up matching, would have any kind of immunity or could possibly not be charged if the DNA matched them? There is kind of, and it just depends on what the results come back. Say, for example, we do a full DNA test on the semen stain on the mattress, and it comes back to be Leonard Mosley's. Well, that's probably not going to help us a whole lot. Practically speaking, it should, but the defense had, or the prosecution has already made the argument that because he was the boyfriend and he was there and he has had sex there, that you would expect to find his semen on her bed. So it's, it's not so much that he has immunity, but it wouldn't really help us. Now, if we were to find his DNA skin cells, say, on a nail that was used to nail the towel up over the door, that would make a big difference. Or if we were to find anyone's DNA under Elnora's fingernails, that is most definitely going to make a difference. So it's not so much that there's a particular individual that has an immunity. It just depends on whose DNA it is and where it's found. Okay. Well, my second part of that question is if a potential suspect was uh, matched to the DNA and they did charge that person, is it a possibility that you guys could end up having to testify or being asked to testify in a trial? Oh, sure. I mean, again, that's that's, uh, all depending on circumstance. But say, say for example, you know, Mosley's DNA was found in there or or Angela Walker's. It's certainly possible that some of the work that we've done as investigators would be brought into the trial. And the way a trial works, it's not like on TV where, you know, a, a defense attorney or a prosecutor gets to get up and talk to the jury and give them their case. Any evidence that gets brought forward to the jury has to come through a witness. Prosecutors nor defense attorneys can testify themselves. So in order for anything that we have figured out to come out in a trial, the only way to do that would be to put myself or uh, you know, maybe a listener that happened to find something on the stand to explain to a jury how that came about. So there's absolutely a real possibility that that could happen. Great. It's great to know that uh, I think you are the mouthpiece for this army, and it's great to know that uh, this army could really see this thing through and actually testify. And I I think that's a a great thought, and I hope to uh, see an ending to this, and I hope to see um, our people free, the the people that you represent. I think that it's a fantastic thing you're doing, and to have the idea that this thing could go all the way to a trial and you could even testify, it'd make for great podcasts, that's for sure. Right. And it's very satisfying for us uh, as fans, I think. I think I speak for a lot of fans when I say that. So I really appreciate you answering my questions, and I appreciate what you're doing, and keep up the great work. All right. Thank you, Matt. And thank you again for all of your support, too. I really appreciate it. All right. Great. Thank you. Yep. Have a great day. You too. All right. Uh, today, uh, fast. F- what was that? Oh, it's a phone. I'm sorry. I'll go in a different room so you can't hear it. <laughs> what, are, you, are you supposed to be working right now, Jennifer? I am supposed to be working. I locked myself in a conference room with my cell phone because I had more important things to do than take care of patients. That's right. (laughs) We've got important business to take care of here. Well, what I was going to say was that Fast Finger Jennifer has lost her touch because she's the second caller today. Well, I tried. Somebody beat me. So Mike says you have a question about Francis Johnson. I do. So last year I happened to meet you and you had mentioned that Francis Johnson possibly was the one that you thought had murdered Elnora. And so I've been listening all season, like waiting for the big reveal that that's what you were going to say. 
And then obviously, as you went through uh, the case and started digging and digging and digging, I started to move towards the Leonard Mosley, Angela Walker theory as well. But I was still holding out to the last episode that you might drop that bomb. But I was just wondering if you think that there is still a possibility that Francis could have done that since you never had a chance to really meet up with him and talk with him or really get much information on him. Yeah, I think there's def- I mean, there's a possibility that it could be Francis. It could be, you know, maybe even someone we don't know about. You know, what I gave as a theory at the end of the season finale was my personal theory at the moment and who my prime suspects are. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's who did it. And there are still a lot of unanswered questions with Francis. And I hope people, I'm glad you brought it up because I hope that people see that over the course of this year, how my kind of theory has has changed and realize that as they're looking into this case, the next case, or any case they're looking at, even on other shows or just, you know, however you're, you know, home sleuthing something, that you cannot put blinders on. And that was a big thing in the Anand Syed case that people would say, you know, someone has, has a bias towards someone or another. But initially, when I initially started investigating the case, all of the evidence seemed to point to Francis. But we didn't have a lot of evidence. What we had was things people were telling me. And as I tell every single new client that I'm talking to, attorneys, witnesses, I'll hear everybody out and I'll run down these leads, but I don't believe anybody until I have evidence to back it up. So based on what I knew from the very beginning, it certainly seemed like Francis was the best suspect. But then as time went on and I continued to dig through the case and get more evidence and file open records requests and talk to witnesses, the evidence to me clearly points towards the most likely suspect, in my opinion, to be Leonard Mosley and possibly the Angels involved. But I guess the the shorter answer to your question is, as I said a couple weeks before the finale, my position on Francis is that I personally believe or I personally feel that he likely has nothing to do with this. But at the same time, there's not nearly enough evidence there to say that he could be ruled out. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this turns out. I mean, ultimately, obviously, we want freedom for Ed, but I still think that he's set free and there's no definitive answer as to who did it, then there's really no justice for Elnora, which I know you've been trying to do that for their family as well. Right. And I guess I'll use this opportunity for anybody that's attached to the case that might be listening to this. And maybe if anybody's listening to this, that might be a bit relieved that we're moving off of this case. I will tell you, Jennifer, and the entire audience and whoever's listening that this is not over for me and it's not over for you and I will not stop until I figure out once and for all and can prove who actually did kill Elnora. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, I am now on the air with Sarah from Italy. How you doing, Sarah? 
I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you, Bob? I'm doing really well, and thanks for taking the time to call us all the way from Italy. <laughs> you're welcome, you're welcome. No problem, yeah. Part of your, your truth and justice army spreads far and wide, Bob. That's great. <laughs> and Mike says you have some question about some different legal avenues for Ed and some DNA testing. I was interested listening to Alison's thoughts about her um, her avenues for Ed, and basically it all hinges on the DNA as far as I understand. And I was kind of hoping that she would say, you know, and if the DNA doesn't work out, if the DNA is inconclusive, then we're going to take all of that evidence that Bob found uh, with the wrappers in the wastebasket, and we're going to nail them for corruption and, and, you know, false evidence and all of that kind of thing. A few people through social media have asked questions about what Allison said, and I, th- I think they kind of misunderstood her a little bit. So what what Allison said on the show was mm-hmm. that without the DNA, we're pretty limited and there's not a lot to work with. And that's true. But what she also said was that Ed's case for innocence is very strong. And I don't want to put words in yeah. Allison's mouth, so I'll just give you my opinion on it. I believe that Ed yeah. does have a very strong case for actual innocence, even without the DNA, but it's going to take some more investigative work to figure that out. But there's certainly some elements of police misconduct that we could bring up, some prosecutorial misconduct, ineffective assistance of counsel, potentially some Brady violations. Right. You know, there's several things that kind of have to be one or the other, where it's either the prosecution didn't turn this over the defense, and so it's Brady, or they did turn it over yeah. to the defense, and it's ineffective assistance of counsel because the defense didn't use it. There's all those mm-hmm. options. So I, DNA is not, Ed's case is not hanging solely in DNA. DNA would be the easiest To be honest with you, the thing that I think could end this the quickest, and I believe that this could happen, is fingerprints. Mm -hmm. So there are several fingerprints on the scene in places they shouldn't be. For example, and to me most importantly, there were latent fingerprints recovered from the phone that was ripped off the wall that do not belong to Leonard, Ed, or Elnora. And we don't know whose they are because back when this happened, there was no such thing as APHIS. You know, there was no computer database that you could run that fingerprint through to figure out who they belonged to. Mm -hmm. So they were just visually compared to those three. Now, the problem that we have in Texas is that we have no right to have those tested. There's what's called an Article 64 motion in, in Texas, which is for us to test the DNA. We have the right to have this DNA tested. We have to bring it before a judge, but it sounds like Bingham is not going to oppose that anyway. But we have the right to have the DNA tested. But in that biological evidence law, there's nothing in there for fingerprints. However, the prosecutor, Bingham, currently, can do Mm -hmm. whatever he wants to. And so if we can convince Matt Bingham to just run those fingerprints Mm -hmm. through the APHIS system, that could put an end to this very, very, very quickly. And and that's what I'm really hoping for. I'm, I'm hanging everything on the fact that Bingham is as much difficulty as the two of us have had with each other over the last year. I believe mm. that at the end of the day, Matt Bingham wants to find the truth in this case. And the truth is sitting there in a box across the street from his office. Yeah that's staring us in the face. Those fingerprints are there. And so the hope is that before we spend $20,000 on DNA testing and before we go before a judge and before we do all Mm. this other stuff, that they'll simply take those fingerprints and run them through APHIS and see if they match somebody that shouldn't be there. For example, if those fingerprints Mm. were to come back, just as an example, and there's Angela Walker's fingerprints on the phone that was ripped off the wall, that's game over. Yeah. 
would there be any comeback for the sort of the spine tingling moment when you, you know, you were examining the pictures and the planted sweet wrappers in the waste paper bin? Do you think there would be any comeback or do you think that's something that they would want to avoid and therefore would make them more cooperative? I think that all of that could be used. I don't know. And, and that, those are Allison questions as far as the legal strategy there. But as part of a case of actual mm. innocence, you know, what you have to do is, and we witnessed this in Carrie Max Cook's case, where you have to yeah. attack the prosecution's case. So in order to win actual innocence, you know, in, K- in Carrie's case, he didn't have DNA, but they had these were mm. the elements of the state's case against you. And you have to knock out every single one of those in order to prove actual innocence. Uh, and in Carrie's case, there yeah. was, you know, one of the things was this jail guard who says Carrie confessed to him in an elevator. They had no way of countering that. I mean, there, there's just no way to counter that. In Ed's case, there was nothing like that. You know, we only had those few elements. You had the handprint on the towel. You had the car seat moved back, the car stereo, the feces on the shoe. And and you had these Jolly Rancher candy wrappers that were connecting him to the case. Yeah. So that certainly would be something that would be used to attack that point that tied him at trial, convinced the jury that he was there, and now we have proof that that yeah. wasn't the case. That certainly will be used. Yes, absolutely. Even even if the DNA does come back in our favor, uh, something that's helpful to us, we still will be using that information. It would still be, oh, fantastic. I mean, that, uh, congratulations on that. That was an amazing piece of investigation. It was uh, spine-tingling. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so you for that. That's good news. Um, it's looking very positive then. He's got a, an awful lot riding with him. Yes, he sure does. I just talked to Ed yesterday, and he is extremely excited and nervous. And as he put it, it's just uh, it's a waiting game right now for all of us. Obviously, oh, much more him. difficult for him, but it's 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 just a waiting game to see what happens oh, next. It must be it must be awful for him at this moment, but hopefully it'll be over soon. Okay, well, Sarah, I'm sure this is an expensive call for you, so we'll go ahead and let you go. But again, I want to thank you for for calling us. It's nice to know that the podcast reach and the Truth and Justice Army reach is all the way to Italy. Absolutely, absolutely. Great. Thank you ever so much for talking to me. You're welcome. Have a great day. Okay, for our last call of the day, I am on the air with William from Houston. Are you still there, William? Yes, sir. Hey, thanks for calling, William. And Mike says you have some production questions for us. Yeah, um, now that we're uh, starting to look into our next case, um, my question for you today was, into 2017, can we expect any sort of expansions on the production side, be it the, the staffing? Can we expect any expansions on that? Probably not as far as staffing goes. I have in my notes here that you were you were wondering if we're going to be covering one case uh, for the entire year or more than one. Yeah, that was going to be the second part of the question. Was, will we be just kind of covering what the, the upcoming case or will we be expanding on maybe additional cases or doing two or three like we did in 2016? Yeah, so it, it kind of just depends. That's one you know, one really awesome part that I really like about what we do here is that we do everything in real time, right? So you guys all get to come along the journey with us and participate and help. But the tricky part is that we do this podcast in real time. Uh, and so, you know, I, as we're investigating and reviewing things, you know, we're reporting as we go. So I don't know what's going to happen three months from now. But what we're doing, the way we're trying to set up next year or this year, excuse me, 2017, is to make sure that we have a couple of cases that are on deck. So we're trying to kind of review at the, you know, review other cases while we're working on the current case because we don't, we just don't know how long this one's going to last. 
I suspect that season three that we're about to launch on Sunday will probably take us six, seven months or so before we get to the bottom of it. But again, it all depends on how many leads we find. You know, I know we've got, you know, for on the production side, we can predict that it's going to take about six to eight weeks for us to get through the information that we already have, you know, for open records requests and police reports and trial testimony and things like that. And then after that, it's all about where our investigation goes from there. You know, are witnesses going to talk to us? Are we going to make any progress? Are we going to find any new information out? Uh, so it, it, it's really hard to predict. Uh, what I can tell you is that we will continue to be going. We don't take breaks. You know, as soon as this season's over, we're going to the next week we launch into season four. And that could be six months from now or it could be a year and a half from now. It just depends on where the case goes. Wonderful. So generally speaking, it just kind of sounds like we have a general idea, but it's going to be impossible to tell where things are going to go until we kind of get into the weeds of things. That, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's thrilling and nerve wracking all at the same time for us on the production side, putting it together this way. But I just don't have any other way that I would do it. We thought about for ease of production for this season to really try to pre-produce a lot of stuff and, and have it all ready to go. But what I don't want to lose is the crowdsourcing element of what we do. And if I'm already by the time you hear an episode, if I'm already, you know, six months past that, then we lose that element. And I think that what made our work so effective on Ed's case was the fact that you all were right there with us. And every week, if I found something, uh, there was somebody there to expand on it or to correct me or to, to chase it down a lead and find new information. And so I, the plan is to always keep things that way. Wonderful. Uh, sounds like a great plan. Um, at least we have a, a, a game plan and we can kind of adjust it as we go. So it's kind of the truth and justice way, it seems. <laughs> That's it. Well, hey, William, thank you so much for calling in and maybe we'll catch you at a meetup sometime when we're down in Texas. That sounds wonderful. You have a good one, guys. You too. Take care. Okay. That's all the time we have for phone calls today. Thanks everybody for calling in. And with that, we are officially wrapping up season two of Truth and Justice. And before we move on to season three, I want to again thank every single one of you from the bottom of my heart for all of your engagement and your support. It is all of us working together that has changed the lives of so many in the last year. And as we move forward with a new case and new people to help in a new season, I'm going to continue to reach in the well and ask for all of your help and support as we move along. One of the most important elements of this new case is for us to have a large audience in the Dallas area. You'll see why that's so important as we move on with the season, but please take the time to share this podcast with anyone you know, especially if you're in the Dallas area. Let's try to continue to expand the audience to reach as far and wide as possible. It'll also be a huge help for you to go onto iTunes and leave a positive review. And as we move forward, don't forget that we do have the option if you want to support the podcast financially, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge a monthly donation as little as $1 a month. And just like everything else we're doing, a whole lot of people doing a little bit of work makes a huge difference. And it has made a huge difference during Season 2. But now it's time to say goodbye to Season 2 and welcome you in to Season 3. We are just two days away from launching a new case with a new potential wrongful conviction, a new victim, new families and new witnesses. Keep your eyes out on social media, on Twitter, at TruthJusticePod, or on our Facebook page, Truth and Justice with Bob Ruff, later today for a video trailer for Season 3. 
Our new case launches this Sunday, February 26th on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is a production of New Beginning Incorporated. Our executive producer is Mike Bussing, and I want to throw a big shout out to PutThemInASong.com. Shane Yoder created this company, and they are continuing to create custom soundtracks for every single episode of Truth and Justice. But PutThemInASong.com is not just for podcasters, it's for all of you as well. Go to PutThemInASong.com to have Shane and his team of Nashville musicians create a custom song just for you or your loved one. That's PutThemInASong.com. I also want to thank Amanda Meyer of Willow Photo and Design for creating the logo for the follow-up podcasts. And I want to thank our transcription team, Desiree Dunn, Sarah Hoyt, and Sarah Mueller for continuing to transcribe the podcast every single week and making sure they get mailed out to Ed and Kenny every week. Also, I want to throw another shout out to Chris Brinkley of sylviaconsultants.com. Chris has been in the process in the last couple of months completely redesigning the truthandjusticepod.com website. Our hope is to have the new website launched before Season 3 drops on Sunday. And included in the new and improved website will be the transcripts that our transcription team has been creating for the past several months. Aside from that, as always, I want to thank all of you for all your engagement and support. Stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice.